Again, turn uh, this morning to Psalm 131 in your Bibles. We'll come back to our uh, series through Mark like next week and the parable of the sower. But this morning we're going to read uh, together just this, this short Psalm, Psalm 131. This is God's holy and valuable word, so give careful attention as it's read this morning from Psalm 131, the words of David. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child rests against his mother, My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. One of the biggest areas of increase in book sales in recent decades is on uh, books having to do with uh, anxiety, finding peace, finding happiness. And that's been true um, even uh, more in an increased way in the last year, in this year of, of covid um, Barnes and Noble was quoted in a, an article I saw a little while back about this past year, saying that uh, books having to do with anxiety were up another 25% uh, over this last year, and books that were uh, categorized in finding happiness uh, were up 83% uh, just in this last year. Well, Psalm 131 speaks about a calmed heart, uh, an inner inner peace. That's something that all of humanity, if, if we're honest, um, is in desperate search of. I think even uh, aside from COVID and, and all that that's meant in this last year, um, increasingly our culture has been a culture of noise and distraction, uh, busyness. It's increasingly hard, I think, in some ways to find the, the calm of one, uh, Psalm 131. Um, you're surrounded with constant reminders. Uh, we all are of how your life can be better, how you can achieve more, how you can get what you want, how you can get what you don't have, um, how you can get what you um, can control. Uh, one, one person speaks of a, a whole industry, the industry of advertising, as uh, the sponsor of covetousness in our hearts. Um, these things surround us constantly and make it even harder for us to have the calm and the peace that this psalm speaks about. And you know, despite the promises of books and therapies and essential oils and yoga and, and all kinds of things, um, peace and contentment remain elusive for, for many people, maybe for most people. And yet in this psalm, David demonstrates uh, a quiet trust and contentment as a reality uh, for those who know the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, the, the God of the Bible. So as we have this brief opportunity this morning away from the noise and the distraction um, of of the world and the worries of the week to sit in in God's presence and hear from him, let's consider uh, together and and pursue this peace together uh, through this psalm this morning. So first, uh, on your outlines there in your bulletin, uh, David points us to that which is against contentment, that which is the enemy of peace. 
in our lives. One of the things that works most against contentment is, is in fact, our own pride. Uh, not so much things that happen to us, but our own pride. And so David begins this psalm proclaiming three things that he's not, or thing, three things that he does not do. Uh, verse 1, Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. Those, first, those two first things are, are roughly synonymous, so think about those together. My heart is not proud, um, nor my eyes haughty. Uh, literally, that, that literally, woodenly, in the, the Hebrew, that it's using a word that means to, just to lift something up. So it, it, it might read, I, I, I have not raised high my heart, I have not lifted up my eyes. Uh, of course, David is not speaking uh, literally about lifting up various body parts, but these are, these are Hebrew idioms for pride, right? for elevating yourself above other people, seeing yourself uh, over uh, against other people around you as higher than them. So this word is consistently used in the Old Testament uh, as, uh, in a negative way of people. Uh, when people do this, when they raise something up, uh, it's always negative. So Ezekiel 8 is a great example of this. He uses this word over and over again. God says, your heart is elevated. It's, it's proud. And it says, by your great wisdom, you have increased your wealth, and your heart has become high, or elevated, proud, uh, in, in the uh, NAS here. Your heart was proud, was raised high because of your beauty. So God is like, accusing these people here, you're, you're really smart, you've gained in, in wealth, your, your beauty is, is great, and so you have this great pride. Uh, by some comparison to other people, you think that you're pretty awesome. Um, we tend to make those comparisons, right, with other people around us. As, uh, that's part of uh, our fallen human experience. We take note of when we measure um, above other people around us by some, by some measure, uh, by some standard. Um, the word is used uh, always positively of God in the Old Testament. Um, God is the one who uh, legitimately is, is raised high. Okay? Psalm 18, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock, and exalted, the same word, raised high, be the God of my salvation. Psalm 113, the Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. So that's what David is saying first. Uh, my heart is not proud. I'm, I'm not raising myself above others. Then he goes on, nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. I don't involve myself in great matters. That, that word great is often attributed to God. Great, God is great. Great is the Lord. We sing that often in the Psalms. Right? The, the second term here, the second phrase, makes uh, David's uh, meaning even clearer. Uh, I don't involve myself in things too difficult for me. Uh, that is, it, it's pointing to things that, are, uh, that the humans can't do, that humans can't maybe understand fully. Uh, David's not concerning himself uh, to fully understand or control those things. Um, that, this is actually, the, the Hebrew behind that is actually what's often translated in the Psalms uh, as wondrous deeds or marvelous works. Right? Uh, obviously attributed to God. Right? We sing of God's marvelous works. Well, what's the language behind that is things that are too difficult for us, right? Things that are above us, things that are uh, out of the realm of, of humanity, things beyond our understanding or our ability. Um, these are things that belong to God. David says, I, I, I'm, I'm not claiming the things that belong to God. Uh, I'm leaving those things to you, Lord. 
And I was thinking, how, how might we put, in other words, what David is saying? How might we sort of put a modern paraphrase uh, on, on what David is proclaiming here in these first couple of verses? We might say David knows who he is. Uh, he knows that he's in the same position as everyone else. Even though David is king, David is a mighty warrior, um, he's saying, I, I am not elevated above anyone else. Um, uh, he has nothing he didn't receive by God's grace. Uh, we might say David isn't, isn't being presumptuous. Um, uh, he doesn't pretend to need to know or to understand or control everything. Um, there are things that only God can do, only God can understand, that only God has control of. Um, that's, that's important to acknowledge. There's, there's no um, religion or philosophy that can answer uh, absolutely every question that we might have or answer every doubt that might come up or, or answer every problem um, to everyone's satisfaction, questions of history or of um, science or origins or God's sovereignty and how it relates to our, our human decisions or the problem of evil and so on. Uh, even in, in true biblical Christianity, we, ha- we can't have all of our questions um, satisfactorily uh, answered uh, in, in every sense. All right? That doesn't mean, though, that faith is unreasonable. It doesn't mean that faith is, is uh, a blind leap, as sometimes it's described. Uh, it doesn't mean that faith should be pitted against uh, reason or, or rationality or the facts. Right? Sometimes faith is, uh, even by Christians, spoken as if it's somehow completely distinct from rational reasoning or the facts. Well, you, they can't understand it at all, so you just got to have faith. Right? Faith um, in the God of the Bible is the only rational basis of knowing and understanding anything in this world. That doesn't mean that we can understand it all perfectly or, or have all of our questions answered. <laughs> So faith doesn't mean that we're to give up thinking deeply or searching for understanding of difficult things. That's not what David is saying. Um, he's not saying that, that he's given up thinking um, or he's given up searching or trying to understand better. But he acknowledges there's much that we can't comprehend or know. There's much that we don't have control over. Um, there's answers that we can't have in this world. So David is not saying... Um, that I don't involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. He's not saying, well, I'll just, I'm not going to think, I'll just have faith. Right? Rather, he's, he's denying an arrogant presumption um, or demanding or, or understanding from God of, of everything that he might want to do or know or control. He's trusting that God has revealed all that he needs to know, all that we need to know. Um, that, that God is wise. The universe doesn't depend on us figuring everything out, uh, having an understanding of everything. The, the Psalter repeatedly calls us to praise God for His wondrous works, right? Not to accuse Him uh, for them or, or doubt Him because of them. But there are certain things that are that are prerogatives of God that we can't fully understand, uh, at least in this life. Another way that we might uh, put a modern paraphrase on what David is proclaiming here in this first verse, I think, is, is this. I do not have self-esteem. I do not have self-confidence, self-worth. Right? Those are high and important values in our culture, uh, are they not? Um, where do those things come from? Where does self-esteem come from? It comes from comparing yourselves to other people. If you really stop and think about it, there's no other source. 
besides that or some arbitrary um, standard of specialness or importantness that I might have in my own head. Right? Relative to other people's beauty or wealth or accomplishments or their opinions of me or my expectations for my own specialness or something, I think I'm pretty great or I think I'm not. Right? Um, I think highly of myself or I think lowly of myself. David's repudiating that kind of thinking. Uh, as we'll see, the psalmist here, David, evaluates himself against God's standard. David has come to think of himself rightly, not to think of himself highly. Right? That's, that's a, that would be our biblical goal, is to think of ourselves rightly and not highly. He's, he's set aside, he's setting aside thinking of himself highly, and wants to see himself uh, in comparison to God's holiness, certainly, but understand God's perspective of him. Uh, think of himself rightly. Um, you know, self-esteem is one of the world's key tools to achieve peace and contentment, uh, as it's described in this psalm. Right? It's, we're constantly told that that is, that is the key. Right? You need to think better of yourself. You need to think more of yourself. You need to get to a point where, again, in comparison with other people or in comparison with your, your own expectations or standards, you think you're pretty great or valuable or smart or beautiful, or important, or whatever it is. The Bible points us in the opposite direction. Right? Self-esteem is, is pride. It's the enemy of peace. As much as it might feel like peace uh, and contentment, uh, the more highly you think of yourself, the more devastating will be your disappointment uh, when you disappoint yourself, or when you, uh, your standard fails. Uh, Psalm 115, we looked at a couple of months ago, is, opens with a, a great summary of, of true religion in, in, in this, these terms. It begins, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Uh, that's to be our, our attitude every moment and in everything. Secondly, uh, David points us toward contentment in verse 2. begins us to, to describe his contentment. Uh, surely I have composed and quieted my soul. He, he describes himself as composed and quieted, or, or calmed and at peace. And he compares that, there's a simile here, uh, like, he's saying, I am like a weaned child that uh, rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Now, that might seem like a strange uh, simile, a strange illustration of what David is talking about there. Um, I, I long puzzled over that um, uh, for years, thinking that was a strange comparison, in part because what is more peaceful than a nursing child, right? Um, so what is, what is David's comparison here? Well, I, I think it's this. Think about a, a nursing child, okay? Um, everything is easy for her, right? Everything is done for her. She's... You know, put on, on her mother's breast uh, for, for mealtime. That's the first way of eating. You know, she doesn't have to know anything else. doesn't have to do anything to be fed. When, when she's hungry, she just wants her mom to feed her. Um, maybe not hold, happy for mom to hold her. She just wants to be fed. Um, and uh, an older child, after weaning, right, has learned some other ways of eating, a little more self-sufficient, learning to trust mom, maybe some more, to, to feed her. 
Um, not simply demanding for mom to feed her, but, but maybe satisfied more to be with mom. Um, not simply to get something from her. Now, we, we can't stretch this or any other you know, metaphor or comparison in, in the Bible too far. That, that's not to say that um, sin doesn't remain and you know, children at every age are, are, are uh, horribly dissatisfied uh, in many ways in that different times. But I think the picture is of a child who's content, who, who's no longer clamoring for milk, but is, has moved on to, to more solid food, to more mature food, and, and embracing more of the challenges of life and, and self-sufficiency. Um, I think that may be the comparison. It, it may be that David is, maybe he's just thinking of a child simply sleeping through the night, right? not waking up demanding uh, demanding milk. Uh, what, what is the comparison then? It's it, discontentment that, that David is saying he's, he's moved beyond. Discontentment is marked by clamoring for more and more, right? Like, like a child who wants to be fed, to get what we want, and to have it the easy way, right? Like nursing. Um, we dislike change and challenge and, and suffering. I think it's fair to assume by the illustration that David uses here that he's, he's pointing to the fact of his, his coming to this mature calm and peace through struggle, right? through suffering. That, that the process of God prying him away from his wants and his addictions to sin and to, to comforts and so on uh, to, to the ways of God, to a new way of thinking. The, the process of weaning is unpleasant. Right? It can be unpleasant. And likewise, we don't like change often. We want things the way they are, the way they were. Um, we like the easy way, like a nursing child. Uh, spiritual growth and change is, is often painful. Right? Maybe we could say almost always uh, painful. Leaving behind old ways of thinking and, and doing and, and even sins. Uh, there's another reminder here then that life is not simply about avoiding suffering. Right? Not that it's wrong to avoid suffering, and many, there are many, many ways that we do. Right? We try to alleviate pain or avoid pain, and uh, those things aren't necessarily wrong. But life is not the, the goal of life is not to avoid suffering. God puts it uh, in our laps often uh, and uses it. Uh, the, the goal is that we would learn to trust and love God through those things. And so I just want to challenge you this morning to think about your own life. What do you need to be weaned from? Um, what do you need to be weaned from to have peace in your soul, real peace, not counterfeit uh, peace and contentment? Or what's something that maybe you keep looking to for peace or contentment that keeps disappointing you? Um, they can't deliver. Uh, and these could be these could be sinful things. They could be more often good things, good good gifts of God that we're looking to in the wrong way, in inordinate ways. Uh, Jesus in Luke 12 uh, commands his disciples, "Do not worry. Right? Do not worry." So the the negative of the command to have, have peace. Uh, life is more than food, he says. The body more than clothing. Why do you keep on worrying? It's as if he's saying to the disciples, why, if, if you belong to me, if you know me, if you trust me, why do you keep on worrying? Why are you not at peace? The, the degree to which you lack peace is the degree to which you're still holding on to the, the nourishment of 
of worldly goal or expectation or desire, rather than growing up into being weaned from, uh, weaned to, uh, full faith in our, our loving and covenant God. And that's, that's part of the struggle of sanctification through all of our lives. Uh, I might summarize it with this point this way, saying you're satisfied like a weaned child when you're satisfied to be with God and not simply to get something from Him. That's part of David's comparison. Jeremiah Burroughs in the, the rare jewel of Christian contentment uh, writes of the sort of self-talk that we ought to be about um, toward true contentment, saying this, Whatever you meet with, you may quiet your heart with this. I know I am where God would have me. Nothing in the world would, will quiet the heart so much as this. When I meet with any cross, I know I am where God would have me, in my place and calling. I'm about the work that God has set me. That, that reminder and contentment in the fact that God is with us, right? that we are in what he has for us, as, as hard as it may be. And that, that leads me to point out that um, David's description of his composed and quiet soul is not that it just happened to him. Right? He didn't pray for it, and the next morning he woke up and he was content. Right? He, he uses active language. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Right? He, he worked at it. It's something he's done in a sense, right? Certainly by the grace of God, um, in, in the Lord's strength, but it's something he has done. And you, you too have to pursue this peace, this calm, this contentment. You have to get a hold of yourself and remind yourself of what is true of, of your God and of you. Uh, belonging to him. Uh, memorize God's word. Store in your heart his promises, his attributes, his faithfulness. Read his word. Uh, if, you're, if you're struggling with peace and contentment, are you, are you reading and, and being reminded regularly of God's promises to you? Actively set aside things you need to be weaned from. Right? Or, or think of them, learn to think of them differently if they're not, if they're not wrong things, if they're good things. G.K. Chesterton well, this true contentment is a thing as active as agriculture. You think of a farmer who doesn't just pray that crops would somehow come up, but he prays for that and plows and plants and waters, and harvests. True contentment is a thing as active as agriculture, Chesterton said. It is arduous and it is rare. But then David points us thirdly, most clearly, to full contentment in, in verse 3. Here we conclude, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Um, you, you cannot be content without hope. Right? In fact, you ought not to be content if you don't have a hope. In the sense that the Bible speaks of hope here. Uh, this, is not, this is the way that, that we usually uh, read of hope in the Bible. It doesn't mean hope as we most often use it in English. So it's sort of a fingers crossed hope. Right? I wish things will turn out a certain way. Or I wish they were different. Right? It's, it's a believing with absolute confidence. Right? Unless you have that, you, you, you ought not to have peace. You're fooling yourself if you think you have peace or contentment. God leads us to full contentment in much in the same way that we lead our children to full maturity. We take them from more childish and superficial uh, things and ways of thinking and also sinful things to more substantial, lasting 
and deeper things. And, and God would have us lift our eyes from the things of this world that, 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 uh, that keep us from calm contentment, from true uh, biblical peace, things that disappoint us to more substantial truth and satisfaction. That's summarized well here in David's words. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord and nothing else. And I want to challenge you lastly just to think about an apparent paradox or awkwardness in, in reading or singing this song. What is, what is the awkwardness in singing this song? Well, it's this. Who, who can actually sing this song? Can you sing this song in, in full truth? You know, can you say, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty in any way? I don't involve myself in things that I can't control. I don't worry about those things. I have composed and quieted my soul. Which of us can say that? Well, none of us can say that that perfectly. Alright, so, so someone wrote of this psalm, The secret to lasting contentment lies with a man who can perfectly say these words before God. Uh, these words are perfected and true in Jesus. All right, Jesus is the one who can sing this psalm perfectly in and of himself. Right, and we can sing this psalm because we're united to Christ. Um, when you struggle with contentment or peace, remember Jesus. Right, he lived life as, as a true man. Jesus learned. He learned what it was to fully trust the Father. Right, to have this kind of peace. Not in the sense that Jesus ever sinfully doubted or rejected that. But Hebrews tells us explicitly, Jesus learned in his humanity, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He struggled with, with having limited knowledge as a human. Uh, he struggled through true suffering. He struggled through having to depend on the leading of the Holy Spirit and needing the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he lived for you a life of perfect, quiet trust in the Father. Uh, he didn't exalt himself in pride or act presumptuously in, in his full humanity. He enjoyed, that's not to say he didn't enjoy and participate in many good things and joys in this life, right? Friendships, and weddings, and good food, and so on. Um, but he confessed, John 4, verse 34, my food... As metaphorically, my, my highest need, the things that, that keeps me going, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Again, he's not saying he didn't enjoy real food and friendships and, and other good things, but, but rather his, his highest peace and contentment was in knowing that he was right where his father had him. He was right where the father, had, what he had him doing. So if you have put your trust in Jesus for your salvation, this is, in a sense, this is who you are in Christ. Right? This psalm describes who you are in, in your union with Christ. So we, we speak of union with Christ as, as God seeing you as he sees Christ. He loves you as he loves Christ. He, he sees you as, as, as righteous and obedient, as guiltless before him. And so this psalm describes who Jesus has made you to be. You, you have this peace. 
Right? We speak of union with Christ in, in that way in many ways. That, that we, we have certain things in Christ. Now, whether we are living them out perfectly yet in this life is, is another question. Right? We have righteousness in Christ. We're to, we're to be righteous more and more. Right? Well, you have this peace. You've been given the basis of this contentment and this hope. And so live that way. Think that way. It, it describes also what, what then you're, you're freed to be. Right? In, in terms of how this is working itself out in our lives, how we're actually living these things out, you, you're called in Christ to be uh, who you already are in Him. Uh, as one who has been humbled, who leaves things too difficult, things, things that are uh, too wondrous, uh, leaves them to the Lord. So sing these words with joy and confidence. This, this psalm describes, in one sense, God's gift to you of this peace. If you do not know this peace or this hope this morning, uh, Jesus offers it to you. If you will confess your sin, your pride, verse 1, uh, your discontentment in, in who you are or what you have, and receive his forgiveness and his hope and his peace through his death for you. Uh, and hope in Him. And I read these words earlier, but they, they express much of what the, this psalm promises to us from Matthew 11. Jesus' words, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You might say you will find peace, calm, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You'll come to Jesus, you will have peace, as the psalm closes, from this time forth and forever. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, the, the picture of the perfect peace and calm uh, contentment in you that the Lord Jesus lived and demonstrated. Uh, we thank you that this is what you have given to us, that you have, this is uh, who you have made us in Christ. And we ask, uh, Holy Spirit, for the, the strength and guidance to, to know this, to believe it, uh, to live it out in our thinking and our relationships more and more. And we ask for that in, in the name of Christ. Amen.